Hi, I'm Gigi, and this is Driven Minds, a Type 7 podcast. In this series, we talk to our cultural heroes to learn how they navigate through challenging periods of their lives. By sharing our stories, we hear ourselves and others, our thoughts, our worries, our insecurities, and only then do we realize that we are never as alone as we think we are. We all have an image of Tyra Banks in our minds, whether that's Tyra the supermodel, the actress, the host of America's Next Top Model, the Tyra show. But did you know she teaches personal branding at Stanford Business School or that she just launched her own ice cream company? Because I certainly didn't. My introduction to Tyra was more than two decades ago. It was this Disney movie called Life Size where she played a life-size doll opposite Lindsay Lohan. I had the movie on VHS and memorized all of her lines. It is a timeless classic. Tyra's story starts in Los Angeles, California, where she was raised by her mom and her brother. When she was a shy, academically oriented 15-year-old, a friend convinced her to try modeling, but she was continuously rejected by agencies and had a hard time finding her footing in the cutthroat industry. That was until she turned 17. She signed with an agency that saw her and her talent. Since then, she's been the epitome of successful reinvention. And that was the only side I really saw growing up. To me, she was the woman who could do everything. She moved so seamlessly from one career to another just by being herself. But that was not without its own set of struggles. I mean, far from having an easy road, Tyra had barriers to jump, boundaries to break, and personal struggles to navigate. I honestly loved talking with Tyra. She had so much life in her, and she was one of the funniest guests I've had on the show. I mean, I was laughing out loud editing this episode with my producer. So without further ado, here is my conversation with the one and only Tyra Banks. Please jump in here and correct me if I'm if I'm off on the timeline, but... um. You started modeling in your hometown of Los Angeles when you were 15. Yes. And then by the time you were 17, you were in Paris. Yep. And you walked 25 shows in your first Paris Fashion Week season, which is insane. Yeah. And then you were a Victoria's Secret Angel at 24. So, I don't remember that age, but something around up in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, sourced by, by Wiki, so who knows? <laughs> But, you know, from the outside, it seems like such a simple, straightforward trajectory. But you've been so open about the countless obstacles you faced and how it was so far from straightforward and all the work that you had to put in. And I was wondering if you can tell us a bit about what it was like to break into an industry when you kind of had to break the industry itself. I mean, especially in the oh my 90s. gosh, Gigi, that was, <laughs> Gigi, that was like a that's like a meme. That's like a quote. You need to like sign that one and put it on Instagram right now. You broke into an industry, then you had to break the industry. Gigi, come on now. Better trademark that one. <laughs> that's that's super clever. I love words and I love play on words and I love, like, Same. you know, so I could tell. Um, so yeah, I uh, started modeling when I was 15 years old, but even just walking into modeling agencies, just constantly hearing, oh, we have one black model already. Like And I look at the wall, and there's like 200 people on the wall. Um, so just stuff like that. I mean, this was, I don't know, I was, yeah, 15. So I graduated high school at 17 and 91. So like 89-ish, mm-hmm. you know, um, hearing stuff like that, I was just like, whoa, this is crazy. But I kept going. And then once I started to be successful in the fashion industry, 
um, still constantly heard that no more than yes and mm. constantly heard that no more connected to race than just a generic no. Mm. Um, and, you know, of course I would cry and the, the pain and the hurt. And I have to say without my mama, I would not be here today in success. You know, she was the person that would shake my shoulders, Gigi. She would shake my shoulders and say, I did not raise a quitter. Mm. You get out there and you show them when one door closes, you go through the back door. If the back door is closed, you go through the side door. If the side door is closed, you go through the window. If the window is closed, you climb up in that attic. Like if the attic is closed, you go down those cellar doors, but you will get in. My mom talks like that, mm. very punctuated when she is trying to tell me something. And so these, these constant no's. And then later when I was trying to be a television producer, mm-hmm. um, hearing that my, my idea was uh, not a good idea or my ideas weren't good ideas, just constantly, constantly pushing. Or even when I was modeling and started to gain weight, and they're like, oh, your booty's getting too big. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't be in these fashion shows anymore and having to strategize around that. So it was always a, a, a constant pivot, I guess, mm-hmm. um, just trying to make sure that my dream um, was still in reach. It just, the dream just had to kind of twist a little bit. Right. I mean, in your book, you mentioned how you were so incredibly thin growing up that not only were you teased mercilessly, but your brother would make you these milkshakes, like throw everything he could find in the fridge into a blender to help you gain weight, right? But nothing worked. And then cut to being a model in high fashion at, what were you, like 1920? And the thinness, which you were ashamed of, is now celebrated but then you gain the weight that you had tried to gain just a year before, and you're told that it disqualifies you from your job and that it's appalling. Bad. And- yeah. It's interesting within the span of, what, maybe four years being told you're so thin and mm-hmm. having to be taken to doctors to find out what's wrong with me. It turned out it was genetic, but they didn't know that at the time. They thought I literally right. was ill. Right. Then to years later, not that many years later, mm-hmm. having an industry say, oh, you're actually too big. Ooh, you're a size six and we're looking for a four, you know? Um, So that, when I think about that, of having to be on both sides, too small, too big, um, yeah, it it can can make you go crazy. Thank God I'm not, but (laughs) it's a lot of of pressure. How did you handle that emotionally? Like, what was going through your mind at the time? Because I'm sure, I mean, just these, these casting directors are brutal. How did you negotiate that? Because I know that there was also a time where you were just like, you know what? F this industry. Like, I'm going to do this my way. Yeah. And that was so powerful to learn about. And I was wondering if you could talk a bit about that. Yeah. So it's, I, I would love to say, oh, I was so strong and I was wonderful. And I looked to the sun and I said, I shall persevere. <laughs> I wish it was that. Uh, but no, um, it was another kind of a mama shoulder shake. Um, yeah. I was in Italy and uh, for Fashion Week and my manager, agent, agent, shall I say, called my mom into the offices. I wasn't there, but she called them into their offices. And she says, Carolina, uh, Taira, the booty is getting too big. Uh, we have to, we, she has to do something. And then they showed this list of eight agent, eight um, designers that did not want to work with me. And they were mm-hmm. like, this season it was eight, last season it was four, season before it was two. The bigger her butt gets, the longer this list gets of people that don't want to work with her. Unreal. Anymore. And, um, and it wasn't so much just that they didn't want to work with me. It is a business and I wasn't fitting the clothes. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's not just like, Ooh, we don't like you. It's like, this is the sample and you don't fit it. Not like we want you to. 
Um, Sample sizes are so backwards anyway. It's it's beyond my day. They were like a four and now they're a zero. So it's crazy. But, um, so, you know, I, I started crying and I was like, well, mom, what am I supposed to do when she told me? And I was like, I guess I'll work out a million times. I'll run around the block. Mm -hmm. I, I, I won't get a cappuccino. I'll get an espresso. (laughs) Like I was trying to think of everything possible. And then my mother says, I will be damned if my baby you know, bows down to these bitches in black. Because she used to say that everybody in fashion were black back then. <laughs> she used to so call the bitches in black. She says, I'll be damned. And then we went to a pizzeria. And she's like, we are going to eat pizza. And then she took the, the you know, the, 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 the paper cloth. That's not, it's not, it's not a fabric. It's paper on like yeah, tables course. at pizzerias. <laughs> and she put a pin in my hand. And she said, Tyra, you write down every client in this industry that likes ass. Mm. And I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like sass? This sounds like really disgusting. And she goes, no curves, thickness, like yeah. not a stick. Who likes mm-hmm. ass Tyra? Who would like your ass because it's growing and I'd be damned if you starve for them. And I was like, um, tears dripping on the pizza, dripping on right. the table. I'm crying, handshaking. And I'm like, uh, Vic- 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 Victoria's secret. And she's like, put it down, write it down. I'm like, okay, uh, Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. Write it down. And so I wrote down, like, I don't know, 10 clients. And then she drew a line down the side. And then she said, okay, now you write down what models have an ass. Who got ass? Mm-hmm. And I was like, Cindy Crawford. Write it down. <laughs> so, <laughs> and she, then she said, this side on this list are your future clients. And that side of the list are careers that you need to study and figure out how right. to learn from them and make it your own. And I was like, oh, my God. It was like revelation for me. And after that, I mean, I, it's a long story, but after right. begging my agent for about a year to introduce me to Victoria's Secret and all these other clients, I got in. And over the course of time, I, I had a 10-year contract with Victoria's Secret. I was... one. One of the, the, the group of the first angels, first black woman on the cover of the catalog, first a million other things with that company, first black girl on the cover of Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition, all from that dinner table or lunch table with my mom in Italy. Incredible. I love that her response was to take you out for pizza. Yeah. I mean, that is the ultimate expression of love and self-love for both of you. Yes. And I'm curious because, I mean, in the 90s, that was the height of heroin chic, which is mm-hmm. the most detrimental term to, you know, to glorify emaciated bodies. It's, it's wild. You know what, that that Gigi? Was- Do you know that I never thought of it like that? When, when you say it today, right, the uh-huh. hindsight makes things really clear, right? So I'm right. like, wow, heroin chic means... A heroin addict looking really thin and not eating food and, 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 and subsisting on drugs. I never really even connected it to that. That is crazy. It's nuts. It's like the, you know, glorifying, strung out, yeah, emaciated, rail thin girls. I mean, it's so backwards, especially now. I mean, even Vogue is changing their tune mm-hmm. with their cover girls. And it's so wonderful. I just can't imagine what it was like going through that time owning yourself, owning your body the way that you did when the entire cultural zeitgeist was telling you otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, did that kind of pressure affect your relationship with food in any way? Because, I mean, how can you not, I feel? Um, I, I never had a thing with food. I, I, I was not a person that restricted. Um, there were times when I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I don't know what it is psychologically with me or upbringing where I couldn't. I know that sounds weird. No. But meaning if I, I wanted to, I wanted to eat less. I wanted to say, okay, I want to lose weight so that I don't lose this job. And I, but then the pizza would call me or the burger would call me or I don't know, maybe I have the opposite problem where, you know, like where food led me and, you know, in that type of way. Um, so no, I never, I never struggled with it in that sense. No, it did not. I mean, that's honestly so inspiring to hear. When I was at the height of my food restricting, I was like, hmm. 106 pounds. I'm 5'8". And I'd walk into these group dinners looking sick. And people, especially men, by the way, would tell me how amazing I looked. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that kind of affirmation just really fuels the cycle, you know, like the quote unquote positive feedback. And Mm -hmm. I just kept doing it. It was like bigger than me because I was like on such a high of, of hearing men admire me. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it really just, it, it fuels it. And you've mentioned something. But was, Gigi, just something that you just said. I just yeah. want to go off of that. I, I had a, a breakup with a boyfriend when I was, I don't know, 21 or something. Mm-hmm. A really bad one. He just hurt me. And, and, and rejection either makes a lot of people eat a lot or restrict. I couldn't yes. eat. I, the rejection, the food just couldn't come into my mouth. I just, I had no appetite. I just wanted to like sleep and cry. And I lost a lot of weight. I don't know what the number one but number was, but I lost a lot of weight. And mm-hmm. every place that I went was like, oh my God, you look amazing. And I'm like, you have no idea. I can't hardly walk because I, I can't eat. I, my body just won't take the food in. And you're saying yeah. that I look good. So I understand what you mean with that. Yeah. And from that sense, yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, how did that make you feel though? Like, did you end up in the cyclical thing, which is easy to end up in, which you just keep perpetuating your own cycle of like, oh, if they, you know, the same way that I did, like, if this feels good, if this, if I look good, then this. No, because the food led me the other way. So it led mm-hmm. you where you wouldn't eat it. And it led me where I couldn't say no to it. So when I lost the weight, it was an involuntary weight loss where my body right. wasn't hungry. Yeah. You know, oh, where I was so there. sad. You, you know that depression, right? Oh where my you're God. so sad. A- after a breakup. Yeah. It's, it's a weird, it, it, your body just, honestly, it's just not hungry. It you doesn't take in food. It doesn't take in food. <laughs> I know it's a weird thing. So that has happened to me a couple times in life. And so that's when it happened. But then the self-esteem would come back for me. And then I would be like, okay, mm-hmm. here's, where's the burger? I remember right. being in Barcelona um, for America's Next Top Model shooting there. And we were at a dinner table and all of us had ordered a ton of food. And my body was grumbling. I was like, oh, I want this food. Got a call from a guy I was dating. I stepped away from the table. He broke up with me. I came back to the table 10 minutes later. That food, I didn't want it. My body just said, "Mm, nope. It was a weird, involuntary thing that happens to me when it comes to rejection. So, yeah. You've no idea how much that resonates with me. Every breakup, I know they say it's like a stereotype that you like lose all this weight after a breakup, (laughs) but I really do. I so understand your... Yeah, Dave, your body totally rejecting food. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get through that, though? Like, how do you get through these breakups? I, I, I keep going to my mom. Like, my mom was, at, at that time, she was my salvation. I mean, there was one breakup uh, where I wanted to run. I, I would go to her house. I couldn't eat. She would sometimes feed me chicken soup just to keep me alive, right? And um, literally feed me like I'm, a, like I'm an eight-month-old child. And I remember being in her bed because I would snuggle with my mom when I was depressed and sad. And um, 
I was like, mom, I just want to run down the street. I didn't know it was anxiety. I was like, Mm -hmm. I just want to run. I just want to run. And she would hold me down. I had on a nightgown and I just wanted to run down her street. Um, Another thing is I wanted to call him. I wanted to call him. And Mm -hmm. this was before cell phones. So she unplugged every phone in the house and would not let me. I love this move. (laughs) I love this move. Yeah. So he never, he never knew how much I was hurting. And then I would see him later and he was always kind of rude to me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why? He hurt me. Why is he being rude to me when I see him in public? And then later a friend of his said, you are the first woman that has never called him back. He does this and he loves to do it. And he's very strategic about it. And he, I don't know why he doesn't know why, but you never called him back and he hates you for it. And I'm like, thank you, mom. (laughs) Hate me all day. She did you a favor you didn't even know was a favor at the time. Totally. Yeah, breakups are so brutal. And I don't know. I feel like there's some people that no matter how hard you work to work through them and work through the pain, they're always kind of with you. And the moment you accept it, though, this is what I found, is the moment you accept that this is where I am, that they came into my life and they left, like that, it was only that place of radical acceptance that you can actually truly let go. You know it what is I mean? so true. People come into your life. What do they say? For a reason? Yeah. For a exactly. season or a yeah. lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also just had this. Um, our last episode was with Ariana Huffington, and she mm-hmm. she included this quote by Rumi in her book. And we talked about this during our our interview about how live life as if everything is rigged in your favor, mm-hmm. meaning like that breakup that you couldn't get over, yes. that was meant to happen. Like I needed that right yes. now. This was supposed to happen. Yes. And then what am I supposed to do? Because this was mm-hmm. supposed to happen. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. But I mean, how many times in your life has something ostensibly shitty happened and something unimaginably incredible came out of it? You yeah. Know, like I can't imagine, especially in your life. I mean, you've lived so many lives. You've gone through so many different careers and you've had this unbelievable personal and professional transformation that we've all gotten to witness. And yeah, I can imagine well, with, that's happened to you. Yeah. With my business now. So we're, we're, uh, we've launched an ice cream company called Smize Cream and with, with, with a startup there every day, there's something, there is yeah. something happening where it's just craziness. And I'm teaching my team about the lemons to lemonade. Um, oh, this ingredient of this ice cream is not working. And I'm like, oh, well, it ain't working. But now throw some of this in there and throw some of this in there and change the name to this. And now wait, oh, now it's even more amazing. Or this partner didn't happen. Well, you know what? They didn't happen, but their competitor, I just saw them yesterday and they just winked at me and says, well, if this doesn't happen, call me, but, 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 you know, so I'm (laughs) constantly looking for like the twist to things that are a challenge. Sometimes they fall on your lap and sometimes you have to make it happen. And I'm telling you, it's probably probably about twice a week there's a lemons to lemonade with some ice cream. Yeah. But also it takes a lot of clarity to also realize that, right? To kind of see a lemon yeah. and be like, okay, how do I turn this around? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is ice cream your comfort food? I'm assuming it has to oh be. Oh my God, totally. <laughs> Tell me more. Totally. So my mom and I... Um, it's like Friday nights when I was in high school. Um, I would still be in my uniform and we would get in the car in LA and drive to Hollywood. And Hollywood had a, um, a Haagen-Dazs. Mm. And we would go in the Haagen-Dazs shop. She would get chocolate. I would get coffee Haagen-Dazs. And we'd sit in the car in the dark, just sit in the car and just talk. Talk about life, talk about school, talk about boys. I have the mom that you read my book with my mom that we just could talk about anything. Yeah. And so 
ice cream for me is not just a food that or treat that tastes good. It it harkens back to like family connection, um, mm. and that love and warmth that I had with her and that bonding. And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to start this ice cream company, some ice cream for what it means to me. Um, I'm not starting a barbecue company, but I, I didn't understand why I liked barbecue. I just wanted to say it, but I didn't want you to think I'm leading up to it. And then we started going to be selling some ribs. No, you but, never know with you. <laughs> but all my life I've loved barbecue. And then, I don't know, a year ago, I was like, you know what? I love barbecue because that's what my dad used to do on the mm. weekends. And he would barbecue and the family would come over and he'd make homemade sauce and I'd be with my family. And so the smell of smoked meat to this day, I can be in Italy, I can be in Brazil, I can be in Inglewood, California, and I smell smoked meat and it makes me feel good because it makes me remember my dad and those days that we had together of making barbecue. He's still alive, by the way. I know I said that like he's not here, but no, he's, he's alive and well. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, ice cream means a lot to me. And then also, to me, I, I actually teach um, personal branding at Stanford's Business School. I wasn't able to do it last year because of COVID. Might not be able to do it again this year, um, but I've taught for three years. And when the first day of school, I teach my students that um, different is better than better. That mm. you can't just be better than the next person or the competitor. Better is good. Different is crucial. Because how you stand out in the marketplace, you make some noise, you like create that differentiation that makes, you know, people attracted to you and that new, interesting, totally. different, unique thing. And so with some ice cream, I was like, yeah, it's super premium ice cream, but there's a lot of super premium, great ice cream out there. Um, but I was really inspired by the Cracker Jacks box, Cracker Jacks back in the day, the caramel oh my corn. God. I, there, that is such a childhood memory. I was only allowed them at Dodgers games with my dad. <laughs> Exactly. So I totally get it. I totally get it. And do you know how they had the prize in the Cracker Jack box? I lived for the prize, Tyra. You lived for the prize. For the prize. Okay, Gigi. So I was like, what if I put a prize inside of every serving of some ice cream? Oh my God. (laughs) Yes, an edible surprise. So drop the mic. So we have an edible surprise that you have to dig, baby, dig to get to. Right now it's these huge, chunkalicious cookie dough, huge, like golf ball size um, cookie dough um, balls. To different flavors and stuff covered in, in white chocolate or may white chocolate and the smile surprise will change over time but yeah difference better I love what you said about uh the importance of being different mm-hmm. and it's always difficult to kind of own your differences and step into your difference and lead with your difference and especially when you're younger all you really want to do is be the it's same be like as everybody else, else. <laughs> so when was it for you when you really owned your difference? Because I feel even modeling, I mean, while you were a true trailblazer in terms of the amount of shows you booked and how black women were really not welcomed like they are now, you know, so you trailblazed in every sense of the word. But was there a moment where you kind of realized the power in your difference, that your difference was truly your power? Yeah, one of the things is is is, is banal and as the sound was my runway walk. I used to look at tapes of fashion shows and I would I could tell certain models, I could tell who they were even as if they were walking in silhouette. They were backlit, they were walking in silhouette before the light the front light came up on them. I was like, "Ooh, that's Dalma. Ooh, that's Sonia Cole. Ooh, that's Naomi Campbell. Ooh, that's like cuz they had a very particular walk." And so I said, "I need to find my signature walk." And mine was a little over the top. Sometimes I get in trouble by the designer. Um, Did you really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I remember um, uh, walking for Isaac Mizrahi 
yeah, in the nineties. Yeah. And I did a twirl. Okay, no, okay. I had this big cape thing, like this big cape coat thing. Okay. And right before I walked out, the woman, I don't know, she's called the fashion show. She was in charge of the model. She was like, girl, you know how to work it. You go out there and you work that coat. And I was yeah. like, okay. So I get on that runway. Gigi, I am prancing. I do this kind of thing. And I like look to the left. I look to the right. I'm smiling to the audience doing this. And I get to the end of the runway and I twirl the quote, like almost like it's wings. Almost like a, like a, like a matador on like a Superman, dancing yeah, with the stars. Yeah. Superman. Yeah. And then I go to the back and I think it was the designer, Isaac, was mad. And I love Isaac, but you know, he had every yeah. right to be mad. Yeah. But I, I love him today. I've actually worked with him recently. But um he wasn't very happy with that. And the woman that told me to twirl told him, I don't know why she did that. I told her to just walk normal. What? <laughs> really? Oh, now you're selling me out. You throw me under a bus when really this so was funny. you telling me to work it. But get this. <laughs> There was a show on CNN called CNN Style with Elsa Clench. Okay. And every season, they would take highlights from that fashion show season and use it as their main title credits for every show. Uh-huh. Guess who was in those main titles? Tyra in the cape. <laughs> Me in the cape going, whoosh, 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 whoosh. <laughs> So I I'm love like, it. Isaac, are you still mad at me? And Lady Abe, now you're saying, I told her to do that, Isaac. I told her to do that. <laughs> Speaking of dressing up, I, I used to work at Connie Nast. I worked for Vogue and then I went, I worked for W. And when I started, I only wore black boots and jeans into the office. And everyone there was really dressed to the nines. I was always kind of in my my black uniform. And there was one time the first time I was invited into a features meeting and Anna was leading it and I decided to dress up a bit. I put on heels and a dress and kind of made myself, made myself up a bit to, you know, to keep up good impression. (laughs) And I noticed that I did a discernibly better job when I was dressed up as opposed to when I was wearing, you know, more casual clothes, jeans, boots, and I had more confidence as well. And that was the first time that I'd ever experienced that because my job before was working at an artist collective. So I never really dressed up for work. And I feel right now it's really relevant with the pandemic because, you know, we don't really have to change out of our pajamas. We can just go from our bed to our desk and occasionally maybe change your shirt, you know, if, if you and feel maybe fine. shower, maybe <laughs> brush your teeth. Optional, <laughs> optional. But, but I'm so curious how this manifests with you because you're so often in some kind of costume before a pandemic. I mean, even Dancing with the Stars. Crazy the Isaac, Right? Yeah. Like the Isaac Mizrahi cape. Like so much of your livelihood. The Tyra show is, is dressing up. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, do you feel mental differences when you are dressed up as opposed to when you're eating ice cream on your couch in your sweatpants <laughs> with York? Um, f- okay, this is going to sound so weird, but for me... Dressing up equals discomfort. Tell me more. I don't like it. I don't like high heels. I don't like all the tight, like, corsety stuff. And I don't like it. I like how it looks after. But I, right. don't, like, I don't like being in it in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it is probably, like, biological. Like, I have super flat feet. Um, so when I wear a high heel, if you if it's a high heel, say it's like a glass zipper, like Cinder, like Cinderella, mm-hmm. and if you saw my foot, it looks like a ski inside of it. It doesn't it doesn't do the arch thing that a foot does Sam. inside of a shoe. It's like a Sam. ski. Yeah, Same. Okay, 
So for us, because we don't have an arch that bends into the shoe, we have to like hold ourselves up. We have to use more muscles in our body when we wear heels because of that. Um, so no, I actually feel more comfortable um, looking like crap. However, Gigi, I do like to put on some makeup, girl. And like, so that's my thing. Like, especially because of Zoom, because that's all you see. And so lately I'm like, you know what? I'm going to put on some makeup today on this Zoom because it's going to probably make me present better, you know, and just feel a bit more confident with my company and that I'm talking to them. There's the confidence though. Yeah. For me, it's the makeup, not so much the clothes, but, but yeah. It reminds me of something that you wrote about in your book about how Cindy Crawford introduced you to the concept of the thing. Oh, child. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that's that's what she called herself, right? Like after she'd gone through the works, like the boob tape, the body makeup, the hair extensions, what have you. And can you tell me what your mental processes were like and how it felt for you to constantly pretty much since you were 15 to be constantly transformed into the thing. The thing. Yeah, you know, I used to have that thing that um, I think it was Rita Hayworth said they go to bed with Gilda and they wake up with me, you know, like (laughs) dating, you know, and it's like, they they think they're getting a supermodel. And it's like, you're getting a supermodel if you come pick me up from a photo shoot. And wait till you see me makeupless in the morning. (laughs) I feel the exact same way. It's like that morning after light. Totally. So I always kind of feel like, okay, when is it, when, when am I going to pull out the real me here? Yeah. Um, you know, even doing Zooms and stuff, even today, it's like, um, and if I don't put on makeup and stuff, I'm like, okay, let me just get it out the way. I know you guys are like, oh, that's Tara Banks, really? And I was like, and this is not even all of me. I put my hair on. If I didn't yeah. have my hair on, you'd be like, what? Um, so yeah, it, there, I, I don't necessarily feel pressures, um, but I very much acknowledge that there is a transformation that, um, I like to say I clean up well, meaning there's a huge <laughs> transformation when I put on makeup and hair, huge. I could not have been a supermodel without it. There's no way. I'm not that supermodel that's like, oh my God, I just woke up and yeah, I just put some, you know, moisturizer on my face and I just, you know, like throw my fingers through my hair and okay, I'm ready for the photo shoot. There's a lot of those. That ain't me, child. Oh my God, that's <laughs> not me. I, I don't know who these people are. Like, where are they? Like, what, <laughs> like... Where do they live? That's never been me, ever. Was there ever a time where you did kind of feel uncomfortable the way that someone did your hair or the makeup and you just kind of felt like, this is so not me. Like, I want to crawl out of my skin right now. Oh, every day is a model. Every day. So, you know, when I was modeling, uh, it was understood that, and it is the truth, that you were not there to look your best self not mm-hmm. until you're some supermodel and you're representing your personal brand look, but you're a canvas and it is for these people to transform you into their vision. Mm. And, and it is very important to understand that if for anybody going into the fashion industry, wanting to be a model, it's not about like, you know, having a beautiful Instagram account and you having control over that image. You are hired by clients that want to transform you. Right now, the added challenge for me as a black model was this was many years ago. They didn't have my makeup colors. They didn't have my hair texture stuff. And so I would be looking crazy often. So I would have to bring a bag, like a huge, huge, heavy bag of hair products, hair tools, all kind of makeup um, because they didn't have the knowledge or the tools to do my hair. There's a movement going on now called Black Beauty Roster. 
and I just did a, some, some stuff for them just to help them along where they're trying to get um, black hair and makeup uh, professionals in on jobs more so that black talent doesn't have to suffer right. and, um, you know, and, and look crazy. Yeah. We'll definitely put that in the show notes. Um, was there one time that you were like, you know what, this whole industry-wide standard is not my thing. It doesn't work for me. Now is when I have to start taking my own beauty bag. Like, was there one discernible time where you were like, you know what, I'm doing my own makeup, my own hair from now on? It was very early. Um, it might've been my second season in Paris. So my first mm -hmm. season, looking crazy, hair looking crazy, <laughs> makeup looking, call it grayish, like gray and beige, where I'm really like that. brown Never. and golden, <laughs> grayish. Um, so, and so I... I, yeah, I had a whole kit second season. So it's like models would be walking around and they'd have like a bag and they'd have their portfolio or whatever. Child, I had, I had Sephora in my bag. <laughs> I had the whole store in my bag before it existed. So many of us women feel pressure in regards to aging. And I think Part of this is because the dialogue around it is so detrimental to our sense of self-worth. I mean, all of this rhetoric and the term anti-aging itself, which is used to sell products, is inherently against our natural bodily processes, which is completely insane. And I mean, this has definitely affected me. I was so obsessed with aging until I turned 30. And then I just kind of said, fuck it, because exactly. I'm like, you know what I mean? Because like our 20s are known as these like superficial golden years, which is totally constructed by the patriarchy. But still, I do feel there was a the psychological shift for me. And I'm curious because you also chose kind of a similar age of 32 when you decided to retire from modeling. You were like, mm -hmm. I didn't want to age out. And this is it for me. And I know obviously your industry was more obsessed with age because it had, you know, it was all about youth and beauty. But um, I feel even for those who aren't models, it's still pressure, especially as women, is such a thing that we can't not worry about because we're told to. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious how you decided at 32 and in what capacity was aging on your mind in your 20s? Yeah. I, I didn't, I wasn't really thinking about being scared of getting older. Um, me, and I'll, I'll talk about that in, that in a bit and why. But me leaving the fashion industry was a little bit of a power move. It was an F you. Mm. It was a, I'm going to leave you I before you leave me. Like, I know you're going to kick me out. I know you looking at me now like, oh, yeah, she's all good now. But well, we can't wait to be done with her. Yeah. And so it was me saying, I'm going to leave this. I want to be like a boxer that says this is my last fight and I'm going to win, hopefully, and then retire. And so that's what it was for me. I didn't want to like just kind of like ungracefully be kicked out of this business. Um, so it was a it was a bit more of a power thing, right? Um, in terms of aging, I think role models tend to help. So my mom, I don't I don't know why, but she doesn't really trip out about um, aging. Like she doesn't dye her hair. She finds wigs that have gray in them. Um, so she seeks out gray hair actively. She seeks out gray hair actively. I was in a wig shop buying, buying wigs for a photo shoot for some models that I was uh, working with. And I saw this whole section of like grayish like wigs with like black mixed in it. And I got her like five of them. And I brought them <laughs> home to her and it was like Christmas day for her. She's like, oh, Lord, these are the best gray wigs I've ever seen. 
So she's into it. So I think kind of growing up with that, it hasn't affected me as much. One thing that I tell women is I know it can, you can look at somebody that's younger than you and be jealous, but you have to remember that you were that age too and that one day they will be your age. Amen. So don't be jealous of something that you were, baby. Yeah. you were. And we have to remember that. You can't look at that young person and be like, ew, I hate her. She's so young. You were too. And she going to be old and wrinkled or plastic surgery then looking crazy like she's in a wind tunnel one day too. <laughs> it's true. I mean, we even like when you go to the Explore page on Instagram, it's all these like young girls. Yeah. And I'm like, why are they targeting me? Like, is it because they know that I'm a woman? Like, is this, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I realize that there's all these subliminal, subtle messages that you're inundated with every day that makes you, you know, just question yourself and your appearance and your looks. And yeah. you do get whittled down by this, you know? So oh, I, love- I get whittled down by Instagram too now. Don't get it twisted. Like, so I'm, How? you know, I'm in that, I was, well, not so much now, but was very much a part of, you know, being a person in those types of images before social media, but images that are hard to attain and live up to. You're the queen of memes. So I'm like, wait, if I was a model and I'm looking at these little girls on Instagram going, dang, um, look at her waist, look at her booty. I'm not looking at the youth. I'm just looking at the the smoothness, the niceness. And, you know, so I I still get caught up in, in that and have to turn it off sometimes. What do you say to yourself when you're in those moments to kind of bring you back and reground you? Um... I don't know. Sometimes, you know what I say? Go on, girl, in my head. Like, all right, do the damn thing. You know, sometimes when you're feeling a little less than, if you give a little mm-hmm. love back yeah. to that, it can relax that feeling of, oh, I'm not good enough. If you just do a little in your head, you go, girl. Okay, yeah. you're working it. Okay, I see it. Okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, work it. You see how it changes that thing inside of, well, I don't look that good. And, oh, my God, and my legs don't look like that. Yeah. So it's like giving a little bit of a cheerleader thing or even saying it out loud, like, your hair is gorgeous. I just want to tell you, it's beautiful. Just give them love, child. And then some of that love is going to bounce back right out back to you. I feel in general, I mean, all of this comparison and this worrying, I mean, especially my generation, the millennials, we are, we worry about everything. I mean, mm-hmm. I worry about past, present, future. I worry sometimes what I is in my imagination. I mean, I'm constantly I feel like we're we're constantly worrying. Anxiety has never been worse and prescription culture and mm-hmm. you know, prescriptions in general are going up. Um, what is one thing that you used to worry about that you don't worry about anymore? I used to worry about guys Will he call? Why is he not calling? Why is he acting like that? What am I doing wrong? What should I change? What should I do? What's going on? Da, da, da. Oh. Was he looking at her? Is, da, da, da. is my friend like him? But Like just, just too much. Like really, you know, like if, if, if that guy is giving me that much drama in my yeah. own head, it's time to like cut him loose. Yeah. And so I learned that. Yeah. But how did you learn that? Because I, I mean, when you say it to me, experience. like experience, it it's only time experience and time. It's not like I just had this sage come up to me and sit me down and I did a retreat and I was healed. No, this is like, you know, in my thirties, later thirties, finally saying, what the hell? You know, I remember 
dating somebody and I just didn't feel right. And I was like, you know, let's do a FaceTime. This is way before COVID, like years and years ago. And I was like, I can't do this. Like, you don't make me feel good. Like, mm, you're together. I feel good. When I'm not with you, I feel like crap. So it's just not happening. I didn't say it like that. It was much softer. <laughs> but to paraphrase for yeah. the podcast. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, so, but, but that was years of understanding that right. love does not hurt. Like, you know, yes, there's times you fight and, you, you, know, uh, you know, not fight. You know what I mean? Arguments or yeah. di- misunderstandings or disagreements, but not, not just feeling like crap. Yeah. And that took me a while to, to, to know that you have to cut that off really quick before you get too deep. Because once you get too deep, it's harder to break away. Really is. And I, I, for some reason, I feel women more than men just tolerate emotional abuse. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think back, I mean, when I think back on what I tolerated in my early 20s, it was unimaginable. I mean, I would <laughs> never have taken that shit now, you exactly. know? Exactly. Imagine watching Gigi in a movie. So it's a movie you're watching and you're starring in it and it's your 20-year-old you, 30-year-old you watching 20-year-old you. You would want to save her and be like, don't go there. You are better than this. You deserve more. You know, it's it's incredible what we've put up with when we're young. Mm -hmm. Truly. Is there some piece of advice that you wish you'd taken when you were in your 20s and 30s? Hmm. Or if you could tell yourself something. If I could tell. I would tell he ain't worth it, child. He ain't worth it. Are you tr- really? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like you really like think of yourself that low that you're putting up with this crap? No. Yeah. And I, I'd probably stage an intervention. <laughs> <laughs> like I would have like m- many 40-year-old versions of me sitting around 20-year-old version of me. We're staging this intervention, young Tyra, because you need yeah. to get your ass out, out the hell out of this mess. Yeah. yeah. And you just arrived at this point through experience or was it? Was time, it time, time, time. Yeah, unfortunately, it's time. It's time. However, I feel like the ones that learn with time, it's our job then to teach the people, the younger people, you know, like this wisdom, you know, like this is what I did. This is what I learned. This is the mistakes that I made. And then how can I teach somebody to not make those mistakes? Many of our listeners probably don't know that you sing. And oh, yeah. Beyonce, look out. Ariana, who? <laughs> but you have, I mean, come on. You've worked with Pharrell, Kobe Bryant, some huge producers. Oh. But Tyra, but it, it seems like you are as human as the rest of us because you do get stage fright. Yeah, and- actually not stage fright, <laughs> studio fright, Gigi. I would get in the studio and the words would not come out of my mouth. Insane. <gasps> I don't get it. So I, I was trying to be a singer. I was always, always about the pivot. I was like, I can't model forever. I can sing. I can kind of sing and I can dance. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to retire from modeling and I'm going to be a singer. And so because I was a supermodel, I had access to super producers. It wasn't like my talent was super, but the access was, which is not fair, but that just was the case at the time. And so somebody connected me to Pharrell. He calls my phone and he's like, okay, I need to know if you can sing, sing something. I sing on the phone. He's like, oh, girl, you can sing. All right. So then he wrote me a song. He wrote me a song. It was an amazing song. I practiced practiced the song. I was like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. I get into the studio and I'm like, playboy, we gonna have some big fun tonight. I I had no air in my lungs. I, I I kept looking at Pharrell through the glass and I'm like, I can't. 
Then it happened with Wycliffe. Then it happened with all these big producers. I could not, I don't know what that was. So singing wasn't for me. I mean, first of all, I, I so, I feel so seen by you right now because <laughs> I, I freak out before, during, and after a podcast. So oh. I totally get, I totally get the idea of stage fright, but why do you think you got it singing? Because I mean, you've hosted Dancing with the Stars. You had your talk show for years. You walked the most famous runways in the world. Why do you think it was with singing that you, that the stage fright came out? <sighs> I, I don't know. I, I tend to, it, I love that you're calling it stage fright, because but I think I'm more intimidated by intimacy. So mm. if I go to a cocktail party and I'm walking around, I am the nerd. So Gigi, if I see you at a party, so Gigi, I see you at a party. There's no COVID, right? And it's a week from now and I see you at the party, a cocktail party. I'm going to go to you because I know you and I'm going to hold on to your arm because I'm nervous <sighs> at, with small talk. But I know Gigi, so I'm going to like... And then you're going to be like, okay, Tyra, um, I'm going to walk around the party and um, it was good seeing you. I'm that person. I'm like, I take you with me, but, but put me on a stage with 60,000 people in the audience. I have no problem speaking for an hour and inspiring them and all of that. I think it's the same walking on a runway, performing on live TV to 15 million people watching live. No problem. Being in a studio with Pharrell looking at me through the glass, I freak out. Are you also like this, like when you meet someone one-on-one or are you? No, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay with that. But you know what? It's, it's like Pharrell one-on-one, probably not as much of a problem, but there were also like the posse in yeah. the room too. Yeah. So, the, you know. The eyes of judgment. Yeah. So it was that too, you know, that was just like, I just couldn't get it out. Couldn't. And I can sing that song so good now, which is crazy. Oh, that's, well, listen, I mean, you can DM him, well, you know? <laughs> I, I should DM him and be like, yo, look at this. Like, let's just record this. <laughs> was there a time that you were nervous? Like, was, were you nervous before your first show or before? I mean, when you started Dancing with the Stars, that was also one of the first things that you didn't start, right? Like, it had been around before you. Were you nervous for the opening night or? No, I... I don't, was I nervous? I was nervous, I think, right before I walked out. And I'm never nervous. Not nervous on stage, on stage, as I said. Just, it doesn't necessarily come to right. me. But I think before that moment, from what I remember, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm nervous. Like, oh my gosh, it's live TV. And what the hell? I got to walk down these stairs. I got this big ass dress on. And like, I, I was nervous. But in yeah. general, in general, I don't, I don't get nervous. Even with all the pressure of, of, of uh, Dancing with the Stars and me being new and stuff, I, I didn't have like tons of pressure. I feel very confident when I can be myself. So when I can mm. host something and ad lib and, right. you know, I'm, I'm myself. Oh, Gigi, I know when I'm nervous. Oh, duh. <laughs> Acting. Remembering lines. And like, bullshit. Oh, it's so hard. Oh my God, no, I freak out because you, okay. First of all, remembering the lines for me, it makes me so nervous because I've been hosting for so long and there's no lines. It's ad lib and there's a teleprompter and I hardly read that damn teleprompter. It's just a guide. Right. Um, and so, but acting, you have to remember the lines. Okay. And then, so then I rehearse, rehearse with my paper at home and then you get on set and the director's like, okay, when you say that, then go over there and pick up that apple, then accidentally slip on that banana. Then you're going to come over here and look out the window. I'm like, no, right. no, 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 no. I'm just supposed to stand here and say the lines like I was saying at home. So it's like the blocking and walking and it freaks me out. So what do you do to calm yourself? Um, so one thing I know do is if I, 
if I know the lines backwards and forwards and super duper duper well, that takes away about 50% of the nerves. So there's these apps now that are looping apps. So I say all of the lines in the app and record it and then just play it over and over and over and over again while I'm in the hair and makeup chair getting transformed into that character. Um, if there is a monologue, I have no shame in my game for some cue cards. I am like Miss Soap Opera because I know they have cue cards for soap operas because they have yeah, to yeah. Like, do a whole episode a day and they don't have time to like, so they'll do cue cards in the size. I'm like, you better write, you guys want to get out of this, uh, this day fast. You better write that monologue in those cue cards. Yeah. So I'll use cue cards. And again, that helps my nerves because like, I'm like, at least I don't have to like, I can remember it and just kind of glance and just find my way. When you get nervous in any other area of your life, is there something that you do to calm yourself down? Like, do you meditate? Do you do yoga? You know what hap- What helps sometimes for me is abs- the opposite of meditating, which is like throwing music on really loud and kind of just like dancing and just like and yeah. dancing with my, my family in the room and like, oh, cha, boom, cha, oh, cha. almost like an athlete. Yeah. How <laughs> they have to like have their hype song kind of helps the, helps my nerves. Yeah, like bodily release to kind of yes. just get whatever's in you out. And out. It's so cathartic. Else, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What song will you put on? There was a song that was my hype body release catharsis song, um, which was um, Shine and Shine and Shine. Um, it was a song that uh, Beyonce and Jay Z did with DJ Khaled. I think it's called Shine. Nice. Yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, it's a, oh, it's a hype song. Oh, it helps. <laughs> And do you do anything for self-care? I mean, no matter how strange it is, like my self-care routine, for some reason, I eat an avocado in the bathtub and nothing, like nothing makes me more relaxed. Is there something, I mean, it doesn't have to be that bizarre. Well, I don't eat an avocado in the bathtub, but mine is the bathtub. Okay. Yeah, it's so funny. I'm a bathtub person. So when you said an avocado in the bathtub… I get it, Gigi. I know why. It's the texture. Because, yeah, I was about to say, it's decadent. It's fatty. Totally. It's the, the texture in the cream. mouth. Cream. And then you're in those that water, the hot water around your body. Damn, I got to add the, the, the avocado to my bath repertoire. For me, it's a, it's a bubble bath. I just put a lot of bubbles in there. And I probably will do like two or three hours and just keep letting out a little bit of water and adding hot water. Oh, yeah. I take a nap. Two or three. Oh, yeah. I take a nap. That's like mermaid stuff. Oh, yeah, totally. You should see my skin after. It's all like dried up and like my fingers look like all wrinkled. Uh huh. Two hours, sometimes three. Yeah. I mean, it's a really, it's the best way to de-stress. Um, yeah. In 2011, you said you did get alopecia, right? From mm-hmm. writing Model Land and juggling mm-hmm. all these businesses. And first off, seriously, kudos for talking so openly about this. And in general, I just am really inspired by your vulnerability. And mm-hmm. um, But physical manifestations of stress are so common. And I really don't think we talk about them enough. I mean, for me, when I was working in journalism, I just lost my period for like two, oh, wow. three years. And besides the physical... Um, is there something specifically, is there something specifically that stresses you out? Like something that you've, that maybe is not work related, uh, that you're still kind of trying to get your thumb under? Let's see, not work related. I always go to stress. So this is, I'm sorry, I always go to work. So this is a good question. I think right now I'm, I'm probably stressed. It's a, it's a physical thing with inactivity with COVID. Same. 
Like, right? Like, I literally went to uh, get uh, food that was delivered for lunch today. And I stood up and my hips, the front of my hips hurt. And I realized because I'm sitting down doing Zoom meetings and doing whatever and sitting down so much that right. my body is atrophying. And so mm. I'm nervous about that because I don't know what the long-term effects of, of that is. Um, I felt like early in quarantine, I felt some type of issue and I talked to the doctor about it. And the doctor's like, that could be the beginnings of deep vein thrombosis. You need to stand up. You need to move your legs. Wow. You need to walk around. Like these are all of these issues that are happening because of quarantine, people that are stuck in the house. Yeah. And so I do worry about that um, because I have a, a Peloton, you know, in my basement, but I don't get on it. So it's like this constant, it's there, but I don't get on it. I just like start doing emails and start doing work. Ugh. Do you have that? Do you do that? I mean, that's the theme of my life of buying equipment or things that are ostensibly supposed to help me if I actually use them. If you but, use them. You know, like they just, or all these meditation apps. Like I have so many on my phone. Me too. I used to have all of them. <laughs> Which ones do you have? I used to have Calm, uh, Headspace. Head, waking Up. Wake Up. Uh, <laughs> what, wait, there's another one I had. What's the other one? Oh, um, man, I can't remember. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, no, there, there are so many, but I, I feel like I, I just don't, like they're just waiting for me to use them, like yoga mats and like all the stuff, but I don't yeah. actually, you know, use this unless the only time I actually do it is first thing in the morning. That is the only time. I'm like, if it doesn't happen, then it goes completely out the window. Yeah. And, and I, I know what you mean. And I, 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 w I want to, I want to use my Peloton yeah. and I'm like, well, maybe I should just cancel the subscription. But I'm like, no, then if I cancel the subscription, then I really won't do it. So I keep the subscription, even though I haven't been on it in six months. They, they yeah. know what they're doing, those Peloton people, don't they? Seriously. <laughs> I have one final question for you. Yes. What drives you? Fear, Gigi. Fear. Totally. <laughs> failure. <laughs> Tell me more. Yeah, the fear of failure, the fear of like not being successful, the fear of like just n not accomplishing things drives me. Um, th that that used to drive me, shall I say, like strong, strong, strong. Now I think what drives me is like, I can do that. It used to be fear. It used to be, oh, I'm not going to have money. Or used to be, oh, I'm not going to have impact. Or it used to be, I want a legacy. I want something to live beyond me. And that's still there. But now what drives me is, I want to sell this thing. I want it to mean something. I want it to create a lot of value. Right. And then I want to sell it. And then I want to retire. And then I want to be like the best mom ever. Um, and still have something. Still have, you know, um, I'll always have something. It'll be nonprofit probably but I don't want to be always thinking about work because that's what I do now. And I said, I give myself five years and then I'm going to create a lot of value and I'm going to exit. And then I'm going to really start living my life. That's an incredible answer. And I, I'm curious if that would have been your answer five years ago. You Hell know? no. <laughs> exactly. It would have been fear and <laughs> legacy and that's it. Now it's like fear, legacy, sell that shit, keep it moving. <laughs> yeah, I, listen, I hear you about I hear you about the fear. It it propels us and it also keeps us from doing the things that we want to do. I have this bracelet that I have engraved fear is the mind killer. On oh, wow. And so that, that kind of resonated what I was just saying. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It just reminds me that never not do something because of fear and that's Yeah. Yeah, my my fear makes me do things. So it's yeah. <laughs> 
Sarah, thank you so much thank for your time. You. This is thank you. We're amazing. like we're like sisters from another mama. So like the the food thing, I can't stop eating. You had an issue with eating, and then the fear kills your stuff. The fear makes me, go, you know, like we're like the same person. Like we could have been sisters, but like the opposite. I need to do some ancestry.com, girl. What's going on? That, my friends, was Tyra Banks. How amazing is that woman? You can follow her at Tyra Banks and me at Gillian Sagansky. And I always want to hear from you. So DM me with comments, questions, fears, anxieties. I'm here for it all. Anyway, I'm on my way to the bath with an avocado, and I highly recommend this. Until next time.